Hi, my name is Daniel. I'm from Newtown. I went to see Shaka Khan and Hot Dub Time Machine on the opening night of the Sydney Festival. I loved it. Fantastic. Really had a great time. Um, the crowd was up dancing. It was, it was a great night. Hi, my name's Rory from Annandale. We've been to Box Wars and we've walked around and now I'm playing a game of chess against there. How's the game going? Pretty well, I hope. Um, well, Box Wars is where you make your own cardboard box hat and you can choose to make other stuff out of the pieces they've cut out for you. And I've made one and it's Mario's hat. And I've also made Mario's moustache and a power-up. Hi, my name's Janice and I went to see Amanda Palmer here last Thursday. And what did you think of the show? Well, first of all, I really wanted to see a, a show in the Spiegel tent because I'd never been into the Spiegel tent. And I didn't know anything about her. In fact, went to Ticks for Nicks to try and get into Limbo, which I'm back here tonight to see. Um, but somebody in the queue said, oh, Limbo sold out. You should see Amanda Palmer. She's really good. And I didn't even know, you know, that she wasn't Australian. Somebody said, oh, I've seen her on Spicks and Specs. She's really great. But look, she was brilliant. She had a really tight cabaret act. And it wasn't just her. She brought all sorts of other elements into it. And um, I had a fantastic evening. And I didn't expect it. And I loved it. Hi, my name's Karina and I'm going to all ten of Amanda Palmer's shows. Tell me about why Amanda Palmer's your favourite act. Why is the sky blue? Because she's an amazing artist, her songs resonate with me, um, she's so generous to her fans and she always puts on such a good show that you can't just stick with one, you have to see many. Yeah. And what have you thought of the show so far? Well, each one of them has been amazing in, the, in its own way, yeah. Welcome to the latest edition of Guardian Australia's Sydney Festival podcast. I'm Vicky Frost and tonight we're coming to you from the Festival Village in Hyde Park. We'll be getting the latest on shows such as The Piper, Caput and Matmos. We'll be seeking advice from Guardian Australia's agony aunt, Amanda Palmer, and we'll be hearing some delightful sounds made for limbo, like this one. I'm joined today by Guardian Australia Festival critics Helen Davidson and Jane Howard. Hello. Hi Vicky, how are you going? Hello. Let's talk about some of the shows we've been watching at the festival. Um, Jane, you've just come back from seeing something. You've just been to see The Piper at Carriage Works, which is um, a show for children. Tell us what you thought about it. I thought it was absolutely delightful. It's a sort of a new version of the Pied Piper of Hamelin and the Pied Piper is a bear, a dancing bear and the, he comes to town, obviously it's the same story and the rats have taken over the town but in this story it's because of the, they've just desecrated the town because of uh, industry and the mayor is this idiot and the children want to save the town and the bear saves the town from the rats. Um, but it's done, the children of the town are actually children from the audience and there are about a dozen children and their parents and they're all wearing headphones and they're getting instructions to do actions around the stage. Um, and it was just, it was a beautiful show. There's this moment at the end where 
because the, the mayor breaks his promise to the Pied Piper and so the Pied Piper takes all the children away and you, you're left with the dozen adults just standing by themselves on the stage and their children are gone and as an adult watching it, it's just heartbreaking. It was a really beautiful show. And that plays at Carriage Works till the end of January. Um, daytime performances, so do take your kids. Um, and central to the Piper then is this idea of having your audience as actors. And actually that's the same as Oedipus Schmiedipus, which I went to see at Belvoir last night. And that's a lovely title to say, isn't it? Um, this is a very odd show, to be honest. It's by a company called Post. And it's about every stage death there's ever been. So the show opens with the most astonishing skit. It's basically five minutes of the two performers killing themselves in a myriad of insane ways, increasingly gruesome. There's lots of blood spurting all over the show, oh. all over the show. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, really, they're covered in blood, the stage is covered in blood, there's swords, there's cutthroat razors, there's guns, there's, you know, there's strangling. There is no way of dying that isn't basically done in this and uh, so this starts the show you have five minutes of that and then you basically have five minutes of them cleaning up the stage which is quite interesting and sort of set to opera and it's quite a nice contrast and it kind of takes you away from that sort of very bloody moment although it's quite cartoony I didn't find it confronting I think other people might do but then what happens I mean it's just really quite odd there's some linguistic wordplay about what it means to die and why we don't accept that we're dying and what the canon has to say about death and then there's 25 new volunteers every night and they then come on as effectively a Greek chorus and for the next 40 minutes in tone lines from plays, do dances, get dressed as ghosts, have to wear mad costumes and all the while sort of say their lines from uh, screens and the lighting rig. Have they had any rehearsal time? They have three hours rehearsal time. It's like watching the most rubbish flash mob you've ever seen in your <laughs> life and it's extremely charming for that and there's lots of wits and humour and I love the idea of it but it just doesn't really come off because it's going nowhere I still don't really know what it was saying it's a brilliant playful idea it's, you know there's lots of humour in it but it just really doesn't come together for me sadly because I don't think there's enough seriousness about being silly on Australian stages and this really is that but it doesn't really come together quite experimental work You've also been seeing experimental work. I have, and it's funny that you say that you talk about the seriousness of being silly because Matt Moss, um, an electronic duo, played last night at the City Recital Hall at Angel Place, um, and they were very serious about being very silly, and it was honestly one of the weirdest shows I have ever been to in my life. Um, for the first 15 minutes, in all honesty, I was sitting there thinking, what am I watching and how quickly can I leave? <laughs> it began with... The two members of Matmos, MC Schmidt and Andrew Daniels, sitting on stage behind, around all their sound equipment. Um, over their heads is a big screen. Uh, there's lots of animations and footage projected onto that, which matches up to the sounds that they're creating. Um, high point was um, when they actually live streamed a metronome, which they had ticking away on stage, um, which was just this incredibly enormous, almost Orwellian metropolis-style um, image, like ticking over the ticking very loudly over the audience um, and they built up this sort of wall of sound of just experimental sonic you know just audio around this and it was actually quite beautiful it ended up being this gorgeous electronica um, and quite destructive and disjointed but at the same time it was gorgeous and the low point the low point would have been their premiere song 
um, the premiere piece. It was the first time they'd played it. Um, to preface it, they did request that lights that the lights be dimmed on them before it started because they felt ashamed. Um, you know, they're joking around. But what followed that was a vision of a New York plumber taking apart a toilet and then sending a camera on the end of a wire through the sewage pipe of the toilet. Um, and so we had probably a good 10, 15 minutes uh, visual exploration of a toilet drain. Well, that sounds charming. Absolutely charming. Uh, paid good money to look down a loo. Yeah, that was... a. Uh, I think I'm a little traumatised. Um, I did spend a lot of time watching that through my fingers, trying not to feel ill. Um, but you know, the the crowd loved it. I think it was a very niche crowd. It wasn't it wasn't a full house. Just plumbers. <laughs> yeah, maybe just plumbers. <laughs> we'll also be talking to Jane about going to see Limbo. But another circus act at the festival is Kaput. And yesterday, I talked to Van Badham about her experience of watching it. Tom Flanagan is a very well-known acrobat and clown. He has been a member of the Tom Tom uh, Club for years and years and years, and he's still only incredibly young. And this is his labour of love report. It's his homage towards his heroes, Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. He wears their influence very, very proudly, and he plays uh, the hapless projectionist with I, I've, I've said I'm saying this in the review with a heart of gold and very poor spatial reasoning, <laughs> who is going to show you a silent movie, and of course everything goes wrong. The project goes wrong, the screen goes wrong, the ladder goes wrong, his shoes go wrong, a vacuum cleaner goes wrong, things get set on fire, there's steam everywhere. And it is an extremely, extremely lovely show. He gets away with some incredible stuff because he's so incredibly likeable. He gets the audience participation you really want in a show like that. The audience is crucial to it. And he has that sort of Dr. Brown-esque ability to train you how to do his own show. And so when he recruits people in, you do get that wonderful sense of being part of a community doing something quite unusual and unique and people who haven't seen the script and yet are part of the play and it's all silent and that's the great testament to the silent comedy of the Buster Keaton kind of style is that he keeps it wordless the whole time. He gets a couple of very adult jokes in but he does it so beautifully that the kids are laughing and they don't even know what they're laughing at. You're listening to Golden Australia's Sydney Festival podcast. I'm Vicky Frost, and now I'm talking to Jane Howard about Limbo, which is a super sexy circus show here at the festival. It really wears its sexiness sort of on its sleeve, doesn't it? You're in no doubt. Oh, no, there's not, there's not a, it's not really about anything else. It's just about being sexy and flirting with the audience and quite honestly making you feel pretty good as an audience member. It's quite nice to have six incredibly attractive people flirt with you for an hour and, you know, 400 other people in the tent. But it's quite lovely, actually. <laughs> so beyond beyond the flirting, <laughs> or is there beyond the flirting? I suppose that's the question. Well, there is. And that sort of, if it was just flirting, then I think it would fall down. But the the reason that they can flirt so well is because these performers are just so confident in their bodies because their bodies are quite frankly amazing and what they do with it is incredible and it's it's based on very old circus and there's um, tap dance and jazz dance it's very sort of mid last century but it's done with this air of this contemporary air and yeah they they know their hut and they sell it but I say all that about the performers but the thing that really sells the show to me is the music and Skip Sherry's composition it's this incredible mix of influences and instruments and he sort of he does these bizarre pieces with a marble in a glass bowl or just his 
vocal performance with it's quite incredible and there's a, a sousaphone playing alongside a drum kit it's amazing so amazing in fact that we sent along Miles Martignoni our audio producer to go and meet Skip and have a look at some of those incredible instruments and after that we'll be talking to Amanda Palmer Hello, my name is Skip Sharia. I'm a New York City composer, and I'm the music director of Limbo, which is an exciting, modern, vaudeville cabaret circus. You have an array of colorful objects here. Take me through what some of them do. Yeah, th- these are some of the uh, sound design, sound effect, and Foley devices that double as musical instruments that I use in the show. I use a lot of found sounds, and I use a lot of toys to create sounds. Now, what you're going to hear is these instruments being played acoustically. When we're on stage, we're sending them in through electronics, so these, uh, these intriguing sounds become gigantic intriguing sounds. This is one of my favorite Foley devices. It's called a thunder tube. What I'm holding is a tube, what appears to be a cardboard tube, with a drum membrane at one end, and out of the center of that drum, main, drum membrane is a spring, and if I shake it, it sounds like this. If I put my mouth over it, I can modulate that sound. Right here, I have a, a four-quart clear Pyrex bowl, and this is a marble. Right here, I got something called a Zoob tube. It's basically a corrugated tube, and I'm going to slowly pull it apart. Right here I have an antique desk bell, and then I'm going to play uh, a uh, train whistle. Right here I have a shruti box. I can put these sounds together to create soundscapes. My favorite object is this. This is uh, the Skippenspiel. Yeah, it was made for me on my birthday by the rock star Amanda Palmer and her husband, the writer Neil Gaiman. What it is, it is a candlestick with one, two, three, four, five, six bicycle bells. When, when you're cooking, if you have good olive oil and good tomatoes and good basil and sea salt, and uh, good pasta, you kind of can't screw it up unless you're a real idiot. So what I do is I use these good ingredients and uh, music is organized sound and I organize this sound to accompany and to be in composition with the uh, physical performer on stage. Why are these sounds better than using traditional instruments? Because they're surprising and delightful. 
I'm joined now by Amanda Palmer, who's graciously agreed to be Guardian Australia's Agony Aunt for the festival. In that piece, you heard the skippenspiel, which I believe you made, Amanda. Well, I made it uh, in collaboration with my wonderful husband, Mr. Neil Gaiman. We were, well, I was on tour with Skip and Jason Webley on the infamous Evelyn Evelyn World Tour, which was a side project where Jason Webley and I were playing conjoined twin sisters on stage every night. And Skip was playing the role of our evil manager, Svengali manager. Uh, and it happened to be Skip's birthday, the day that we played our show in Berlin. And so Jason and Neil and I were competing to see who could give Skip the better present. And Jason gave Skip a gigantic platter made out of German sausage that spelled his name. That's a pretty good present. That was a pretty good present. And Skip loves sausage. But Neil and I bested him by going to the Berlin flea market and buying a bunch of bicycle bells and a candlestick and a bunch of you know, pipe clamps and stuff and making him the skippenspiel. Sounds like the most fun ever. It was pretty fucking fun. <laughs> um, tell me about your show here. So you're doing 10 nights. You're halfway through them? Nearly um, this is them? night six. And um, Guardian Australia's Alex Needham came to see it the other evening and gave you our first and only five-star review oh, of the festival. That's the only five-star. The only five-star. That makes me happy. <laughs> I'm glad he liked it. Yeah, he, he, really happy. he loved it. He loved it. So tell me about, is it this, exactly the same show every night or is it evolving? Uh, How's it's, that it, it evolved a little bit after the first few nights when, once I understood who the audience was. What's really interesting about these shows and what makes them different from anything else I've ever done really is I'm used to playing to my fan base. I'm used to coming, rolling into Sydney and if I'm playing a couple of shows, they sell out to my fans and to people who know me, know the Dresden Dolls, know my music, come in, you know, screaming and enthusiastic and kind of know what to expect, know and love me and all that. And I was shocked and also pleased to discover that when I got into the tent here, about 30% of the audience were my hardcore fans and the rest of these people were festival goers and people who'd kind of heard of me. So I'm winning over a, a huge new audience while I'm here, but it's also a different kind of work. I'm used to just getting up and running around and being crazy and having everyone scream and love me. And this is much more of a job. And, you know, I'm friends with all of the cabaret divas like Meow Meow and Lady Rizzo and Camille and all those guys. And this is sort of more what they do. Like, they play to an audience who's probably never seen them before, has heard about the show from a friend, and they just have to sell the entire package from minute one. And it's a different kind of job. You know, cabaret land and festival land is very different from rock star land, where you're basically playing to your base every night. But I like it. I like the challenge. Yeah, it sounds like it could be quite freeing as well. You know, no expectations. You can sort of I don't do. know. I, I, I like the expectations. <laughs> but it's also because I, I have a really loving and wonderfully comfortable relationship with my fan base. I love that they know me. I love that they come in armed. I love that they have their favorite songs. I love that they, you know, they don't really know what they're going to get because I change my show all the time, but I know they're going to be over-enthusiastic and supportive, but that also makes you soft. You know, I can get on stage sometimes and talk for like nine minutes <laughs> and everyone will just sit there going like, we're very happy to hear about your day, Amanda, but not at a show like this where I've got an hour and I really need to pack in every single song. 
tell me a bit more about your relationship with your fans because it's extraordinary. It's sort of like nobody else has that relationship with their fans. Well, it's like a family because I've, you know, the early days of the Dresden Dolls were all about punk rock touring and sleeping with our fans. Well, sleeping with our fans. Sleeping at our fans' houses, occasionally sleeping with our fans. <laughs> and and just doing it very community style. We always involved our friends in our shows. We always involved local people on the ground. We always used whatever we had. And that built a really strong community fan base. And I never wanted that to change. I always wanted to feel like my shows were a place where I could feel safe and my fans could feel safe. And it was always a big family party. So, you know, we were kind of the anti-hipsters because we were so dorky and you know, we were like the dorky theater kids who wanted everyone to dress up and have a great time. So the hipsters hated us. The thing I really want to ask you about is ukulele. Now, I love ukulele so much. I had a ukulele orchestra at my wedding. So I just slightly wanted to, <laughs> to bond with you over the joy of ukulele. The ukulele is inarguably <laughs> awesome. You just can't hear it and not be happy. Exactly. It's such a happy instrument. I wrote, someone asked me to write a little article about the ukulele lately and I, I compared a ukulele to a baby. It's like, it's hard to look at a baby and not be like, oh look, it's a baby. <laughs> <laughs> but then everyone is kind of secretly irritated about the baby too, so it's like, uh. So we asked our readers to get, send you some questions, send us some problems for you to answer. And we picked a few that you're going to tackle today. So we have a question from Tanzija. And she says, I have been a dancer and circus performer my whole life. Now I am feeling more inspired to make music as my form of art, but I feel like that would be giving up. How do you choose between two things you love when you just want to do everything, but that's not possible? Well, there's so many things in this question that are just um, like head bullshit to begin with. First of all, giving up what? Is, is my question. I mean, if you're a dancer who wants to make music, A, why do you have to give up dancing at all? You don't. You can always do a little bit of everything and you can always merge. I mean, I know if I were a dancer and I was inspired to make music, probably what I would do is start composing my own dance music. Um, and, you know, you never have to choose between two things you love. I love all formats. I love playing solo. I love playing with a band. I love directing theater. I love writing. I love all sorts of different things and I just bounce around and I choose you know I'm always advocating for expansion instead of contraction so what I would do if I were a dancer who wanted to make music is I would just do both and be busy and if you don't have time you're probably full of shit just like cut out the things in your life that you shouldn't be doing like watching TV and doing stupid shit like that and spend that time on your music or your dancing so, our next question is... Oh gosh, these internet... <laughs> these handles are not easy for me, actually. Um, Pointy... Pointyend as franche. Pointyend lustique. I have a friend who has become a self-promoting internet sensation. However, the tone and frequency of his updates and his attention-seeking and his grabby request for financial support seem distasteful to me. How can I tell my friend he has gone too far and needs to self-actualize away from the internet to which he is clearly addicted? Okay, I, I, I feel 
layers in this question. Many layers. First of all, friend here is in quotes. Um, so this makes me think this could go in one of two directions. This friend is either you and you're sick of yourself and you're feeling like an attention-seeking, grabby, distasteful, non-self-actualized person. Or this person actually isn't your friend at all, so why do you give a fuck? And this could go one way or the other. Um, honestly, you know, I... If I can speak from the other side of this as the person who is often requesting and selling and, you know, doing markety businessy stuff on the internet as a human being, my friends, my actual friends, don't really interface with that side of my life very much, you know, which is sometimes annoying to me because I want them to read my blog and I want them to know when I'm doing shows and I want them, but I then have to take it upon myself to know that my good friends aren't my fans. And there really is a line between the two things. So, you know, I, I kind of keep a different realm of communication over email and over text and over a, my private Facebook and the, you know, and the tools that I use where I, I'm not ever promoting to my friends and family. I'm just talking to them. And if they want to dip their toes in the water of Amanda Land, where I'm also talking about the CD I have coming out and the shows I have coming up and another plug for my Kickstarter or whatever it is, they go in there knowing that they're stepping into the venue. It's sort of like a friend complaining, you know, I want to hang out with Amanda and I went to see her the other night, but she was like on stage and she was like doing all this shit and she just wanted all these people to look at her. It's like, well, that's because I was at work. And, you know, and, and musicians and artists nowadays have to work on the internet. So they have to be given the respect and the space to be in the spotlight and at work when they are in the same unfortunately sometimes in the same social media spaces where everyone just wants to chat about friend stuff but from what I've seen that's generally not a problem I would say here the problem is yours not your friends and I think you know these things tend to be Darwinian and sort themselves out if this person really is over promoting and spamming in general they probably aren't going to be a very successful artist and they'll burn out and die if what's happening is that this person is very successful and what they're doing on the internet is working and they're paying for their art and they're making money and they're becoming successful, then this friend is just kind of sour grapesing and it's irrelevant. Um, you can read lots more of this on theguardian.com where Amanda will have more answers to your questions. Thank you, Amanda. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. That wraps up today's podcast. Helen, you're just off to see something right now, I think. I am. I'm about to go and see Samaris at the Spiegel Tent, which is very exciting, and I'll tell you all about it tomorrow. Enjoy it. Goodbye. Bye. And Jane, you're off to see Dada and Aeneas tonight, which sounds like a spectacle. Uh, a spectacle, but as you said last time I was on the podcast, you got some pretty mixed results out of London, so I'm pretty curious to see what happens. Well, we're interested to hear what you think. Uh, look forward to seeing you next time.